check, check, yeah. Great to be back. Um, it's always fun to see us struggle to get all the cogs moving with Bryn and Chad being gone. This is the first week with them not being here. They're in Disneyland, which is awesome. Um, last week, we talked about God is all-powerful, and before that, um, how we want to know God intimately and not just factually. So this week, I'm going to talk about how God is all-knowing, or omniscient is the ugly Latin word. Um, so the, the verse that we're going to use to springboard into that is Jeremiah 1.5, and it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I like stories. You'll find that out. Um, I was in my undergrad in college at George Fox, and I was talking to um, a student there who was the same age as me, and he was telling me about this epiphany that he had, and I don't remember, but he had it. And uh, during the conversation, he was talking about how he was studying uh, uh, or reading something on a man named Teofilo Braga. And he looks at me and he says, you know who that is. I don't need to explain it. And I'm, you know, searching the memory banks, like running through the files. I don't, that name is, no, not there. So I said, well, I mean, hold on. I mean, remind me, re remind me. You know, that's what you say when you have no idea. Like, oh, well, yeah, it sounds familiar. Remind me. And he's like, oh, are you serious? Oh, sorry. And he says, that was the second president of Portugal in like 1843. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm a little rusty on my Portuguese presidents, right? But what do you say to stuff like that? Because all throughout your, your education or just learning or just opening books, I mean, I'm church history, math, the sciences, geometry, everything, you realize how much information is out there in history, how many people have affected a single event. We literally know close to nothing about even the smallest things. There is so much information out there. You know, I don't know all the presidents of Portugal, believe it or not. I don't even know that I could say all of them of the United States, at least not in order. But God does know everything. Everything. And we realize how amazing that is when, when we ourselves are learning and getting into things and realizing that the moment we turn a new page, we realize how much we don't know and how much God does know. But some theologians don't like the idea of God's knowledge being so extensive, so exhaustive that it covers even future events. So God knows the past and he knows the present, but does he know the future, that's what they're asking. Because they feel like, you know, it would, it would cause us to have such or so many fewer questions if God just didn't know the future. That's called open theism. So God has a past and he has a present, but he's enduring the future as we are now. God is in time. Just very interesting to me. And, and that's not... 
the way we're going to look at God and his all-knowing nature. Because it's not a fundamentally biblical claim. If we look just at the passage that we started with in Jeremiah, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And John 16.30, it has the disciples recognizing Jesus' ability to know all things. It says, now we can see that you know all things, that you do not even need to have anyone question you. This makes us believe that you are from God. Also in John uh, 21.17, when we looked at uh, Jesus asking Peter those three questions, do you love me? Uh, The third time, Peter says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. It seems clear from the Bible that God's knowledge is extensive, it is exhaustive. Not even the future is hidden from him. Uh, Job Job 37, 16 also says that God's knowledge is perfect. So let me give you an example of imperfect knowledge. Uh, as as way of contrast, on the 4th of July, uh, we were playing the game Catchphrase. If you've ever played the game, I'm, I love games, I get really into it. Um, basically, you have this little game controller that gives you a word, and you have to try to get your teammates to guess what it is, and then you pass it to the other team if you get it. The objective is you don't want the timer to go off when you have it in your hand or, your, or one of your teammates. So you've got to guess the word as quickly as you can. But when the buzzer does go off, um, let's say, you know, I'm saying it's a four-legged friend, you know, but then it goes off. Um, my team can't guess anymore, but the other team gets one chance to guess what it, what it was, you know, dog. And they get it. They get an extra point. So this, this happened. Uh, the timer goes off, and the girls, the girls had it. So the guys get one chance to guess what it is. Uh, my brother-in-law is here, so I can say this story. Um, he's not here. Um, all we knew was it's what you watch when you go to a cinema. And my brother-in-law says, I got it. I know what it is. I know. It's movie theater. Who says cinema? It's got to be movie theater. You know, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Not many people say cinema, right? It's kind of an older, more archaic way of saying it. But you realize it's weird to say that you go to the cinema to watch a movie theater, right? And he says, no, 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 no. I know. Hey, say what you want. Say what you want. I know what it is. Right? He knew. Turns out it was film. It wasn't cinema. So at times we get it wrong. We have false knowledge. In fact, I have a little game that I play sometimes with people where I sort of surreptitiously give them false movie knowledge, 
right? I call it the Bill Cosby challenge. Basically, the goal is, and feel free to try it on somebody, is you try to convince somebody that Bill Cosby paid a major or minor role in whatever movie that they're talking about. So I'm still waiting for my roommate, uh, old roommate in college, to figure out that Bill Cosby was, in fact, not the main character of the movie Independence Day. It was Will Smith. And that he did not have a minor cameo role in The Lord of the Rings as a hobbit. Literally, these are the, I'm, I'm waiting for him to give me that call and say, Matt, man, you, you lied to me, man. Bill Cosby wasn't in that. We, but we, we may take it in and think, we know, we know what it is. Did, did you know that at one time, the scientific consensus was uh, the theory of spontaneous generation? Basically, our scientific experts realized that if you leave a piece of meat out, maggots form. And they said, well, I've got it. We figured this out. What happens is that they spontaneously generate. Or in other words, they just magically pop up into existence. We believed things just, oh, there it is. You leave meat out, it just pops there, right? We get it wrong sometimes. We have false knowledge sometimes. Even things that we may believe now, we may turn out to be false at any given time. But God has perfect knowledge. He knows everything perfectly. Nothing he knows is false or even subject to being false. But his knowledge goes even further than that. God knows something called counterfactuals. Um, A counterfactual is those things that haven't occurred and won't ever occur, but could have occurred if things were different. Uh, For instance, if I didn't take a shower this morning and I didn't put on deodorant, God knows whether or not any of you would have noticed. He just knows. And we know this because in Matthew 11, 21, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Basically, Jesus knows what would have happened in Tyre and Sidon if circumstances had been different. Thus, God doesn't just know past, present, future. He knows all of our what-ifs. What if this? What if that? God knows. So, with all of this background knowledge of God's knowledge, what points can we make that affect our lives as believers in this perfect God? There are three that I want to make. It's One, I try to go with some alliteration, so the P's, I'll explain it though. God speaks to us plainly is the first one. Two, God knows us personally is the second. And the third is that God holds our interests perfectly. So the first one is that God speaks in plain language, which is cool because he knows literally everything, everything yet he communicates in a way that that we can understand because we probably all know those know-it-all types. I gave you the story of my dad, like where he will 
ramble off the longest thing in the world, and you're like, I don't know where that is. But I, I was listening to a comedian who apparently Steven, Steven Seagal, yeah. Steven Seagal is one of those know-it-all types where he just apparently knows everything about everything. Um, like if he sees a dog, he would say, that's definitely an American Northwood Pinchback Dane Labrador Retriever Terrier, bred in Norway. How in the world did you know that? You know, I used to breed dogs back in the day. You know, he sees a helicopter, that's a B9 2032. You can tell by the noise. Like, okay. I just know all those things. And, I, and when I was listening to this guy, it clicked with me. It's like, I know, I know guys like that. Like, at my, at my old job when I worked in maintenance, my boss was a guy who apparently knew the technical term for every tool or mechanical device imaginable. Because I would, I would just be standing there and he'd be like, Matt, hand me the uh, Rangdingley Fiper Shaft, the 1.22 millimeter. All right? You know, I'd be like flipping tools over, looking, see if they had markings on it, like it's a ring dingly fiber shaft, okay. Nothing. Finally, it had to be like, I no idea what's a ring dingly fiber shaft. And he, he'd always give me the look. He wouldn't, he wouldn't dumb it down. He, the ring dingly fiber shaft, 1.22 millimeter, it's stainless steel. And he'd point at it, and I'd finally see it. I'd see it, I'd be like, what? And I'd be amazed. How can you not just speak in a way and know that, you know, there are easier ways to communicate this? You want me to hand you this nail. This nail right here is the thing that you want. Yeah, the ring dingling fiber shaft. Okay. Okay, I'll do it. What? Really? And, and God knows way more than that, but he doesn't look at you and say, hey, I want you to blah, 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 blah. And you'd be like, oh, shit. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what he wants because that was not in a language I understand. You know, and, and we can see this um, in the parable of the mustard seed. Let me get the verse. Um, yeah, I don't have the verse. But the parable of the mustard seed, basically the contrast that Jesus wants to make is that the mustard seed is, is very, very small. And then he says, and it turns into this big tree, right? So this, the smallness and the bigness, he wants to contrast that. And in that, he, he talks about the mustard seed being their tiniest seed. But it's like, come on, Jesus, you know everything. The, the tiniest seed is from an epithetic orchid that grows in a rainforest. Basically, it's a, it's a flower that grows on top of another plant that has a seed that's like dust. But let's think about it. I mean, if, if Jesus had said, all right, guys, the kingdom of God is like an epiphytic orchid that grows in the rainforest. I don't even know what the kingdom of God is like. Is it big? Is it small? What is it? What does it smell like? Something? No idea. No he used the tiniest seed that a first century Palestinian or Pakistanian um, farmer would put in the soil. They know, okay, that's, that's a really small seed. He communicates in a way that we understand despite having knowledge beyond imagining, despite knowing infinitely beyond what we could imagine. 
And the reason that God does this communicates to us so plainly is because that He knows us. He knows what we know, right? Maybe my boss really didn't know that I was completely unaware that that nail was called a ring dingling Viper shaft 1.22 millimeter stainless steel. I just didn't know. Maybe he didn't. But God knows those things and will communicate to us in a way that we understand. Psalm 139 is a great psalm about God's personal interest and investment in our lives. And if you want to read the whole thing, you should. Because it's, it's really good. I'll, I'll read a part of it here. It starts, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. God knows us intimately, personally. And while the psalmist here is rejoicing in the beauty of it, of being known through and through, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that it also can be a bit scary, a bit daunting to think that there is someone out there who can see through us, through what we've created for other people to see and say, no, I see even beyond that. I see the things you're hiding. Um, Ashley uh, was listening to a, uh, a preacher named Jamie Winship. Pretty sure I got it right. And, I, and she had me listen to a few of his sermons, and he's got some great stories. And, and uh, one of the stories that he tells is about when he was working as a cop. And uh, he, he just got done working with a guy that was his mentor, so he's out on his own. Uh, and he gets a call, um, he and another guy, so there are two guys pulled up. He gets a call that says, you know, we got a problem unknown at an apartment, which are always the best when you just don't know what it is. You're just showing up and say, okay. So he goes to this apartment, he, he and his um, partner at the time, and as they're walking up in the stairwell, they see the open apartment door and just trash is thrown out. They're thinking, okay, what are we getting into? And they walk up and they're outside and they can see into the door. And then they see 
this young girl, maybe 21, standing at the counter just washing dishes, finishing, and then throwing it away. Washing the dish, finishing, throwing it away. And then when she's done, she picks up the garbage can and throws it all back in the sink and starts over. And they're like, okay, man, this is going to be interesting. Okay. So they walk in there. And the moment they walk in, the girl turns around and looks at Jamie's partner, never seen him, doesn't know him, they don't know each other, and says his whole life story. Just lays it out. Says, you're so-and-so and so-and-so. You joined the police academy this. You went to this school. You were born here. Your wife this. You have this many kids. And, the, and he's just like, right? And he couldn't move. He was paralyzed. He was paralyzed because he had been known. He had been named, right? She sees me. She knows who I am. That's all he was saying. And, and Jamie's, you know, like, okay, whoa, 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 you know? And then the girl says, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom. But as a cop, you don't, you don't let them out of your sight at the time. You know, dangerous things happen when they can go places. So he says, no, no. And he grabs her arm. And this girl, 21 small, takes Jamie by the neck and holds him at the wall. And he realizes, okay, this is, this is unearthly. This is, there's something demonic happening here, right? And he's like, okay, you know, hey, oh, Joe, what, Joe, help me, Joe, 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 you know, remember your training. But he's just like, oh, she knows me. She knows who I am, right? He was paralyzed. Because there's something incredibly scary about being seen through. We have these identities that we build up and we show people, but when, when someone can penetrate those and say, I know everything, it's scary. A lot happened with that story that is crazy. If you want to know more, you can ask um, Ashley, but it's not relevant, but it's a good story. Um, but it's also, it also can be liberating. I mean, obviously, if, if we don't think like when Jesus or God just knows us through and through that it's a little bit scary, then we probably need to remember the John passage. Where is it? Um, John, uh, 1 John 1, 8, it says, If we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So when, when God sees through us, he sees all of that. But what I mean by it, it can also be liberating, is I look at the Zacchaeus story. So Zacchaeus is a wee little man. Um, basically, Jesus came into his town. He couldn't see over the crowd, so he climbs a sycamore tree, and Jesus sees him. And, and Zacchaeus was a, a wicked tax collector, he would take more than was owed and would keep it for his own wealth. In, in Luke 19, 5b, it says, Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. And you, and you might think that all of Zacchaeus' life, he might have been uh, rejected because of his appearance. I mean, I don't know how short he was. Maybe he was really short. 
Um, and also because of his sinful life, right? Nobody really likes a guy who comes and takes way more money than he should, right? And just is robbing you blind, but you can't do anything because he's a government official. Yet, Jesus looks at him and doesn't just say, hey, you. He calls him by name, which is to say, hey, I know who you are. I know you. See, God knows where we are, who we are, what we're feeling, when we're going to feel it. He knows everything about us. The, the name Zacchaeus means pure one. And so that's really the last thing that you think of when you think of a corrupt government official is pure one, right? But you've got to think. When Jesus said, hey, pure one, that he wasn't seeing what Zacchaeus was, but he was seeing what Zacchaeus could be. He sees our potential. He affirms our potential. See, we, we too might be like Zacchaeus and be afraid to get close because we think we're going to get scolded for all the things we've done wrong. But Jesus wants to affirm us. He wants to let us know how much he loves us. In Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, it says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? Even if that were possible, I would never forget you. See, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. I love it. Can... Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? Even if it were possible, I would never forget you. See, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. When Jesus died on the cross, when he stretched out his arms and the soldiers put nails through his hands, your name was engraved there. So when you go to heaven, you won't have any scars. But Jesus will. Jesus will have those scars for eternity. As a way of saying, see? See how much I love you? See how much you matter to me. And the reason that Jesus does this, he died for us, is because he has our best our best interests in mind. He has our best interests in mind, which is, which is the third point, which is God holds our interests perfectly. We need to know that God really does have our best interests in mind. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants us. He really wants us. And if we but listen to him, he will bring about what we must truly need, even if we don't know. I remember listening to a, a sermon by my dad one time, and this is, I mean, he got all big and he said, God doesn't just love us, you know, but he really likes us. He likes us. And it's weird in a culture to 
that we have to use like instead of love to make a point more clearly. But he really does like us. He wants us. You know, and I, I bet we all can think of times when people had our best interests in mind, but at the time we just couldn't see it. I can think of at least two stories when I was younger and too many to count when I was older. But one of them was when I was living in California, uh, in Ramona. And I was four or five, I don't know, but I always ran around in my underwear, Ninja Turtle underwear, right? I'd kick around. I was like, hey, I'm here in my underwear. That was just, that was my thing. That's what I did. So my dad pulls me into his office. I remember his office very, very vividly. He pulls me into his office, and he closes the door, and he sits me down. He says, Matt. You know, my sister was having a friend over, um, and he, he was telling me this, and he's like, so you're going you're gonna to need to put some pants on. You know, and he, he starts talking about how I'm going to have to learn how to supply my body with a few more articles of clothing. And uh, he finally, he gets up, and he says, see, this is how Daddy does it. And I was a proud kid, and I got up. And I said, Dad, this is how I do it. <laughs> right? But finally, along the way, I came around. Because if I didn't, I don't think that I would be before you now. <laughs> you realize along the way that you might have missed some opportunities to see that people oftentimes, especially the ones that love you, have your best interests in mind. And God, who loves you perfectly and knows you perfectly, always has your best interests in mind. I think about another time whoa, uh, when I, in California, same thing, I was going over to my friend's house. I would bike there, and I would just run straight into the garage with my bike because I didn't know how to brake. But I would just go there, slam into the garage, and get off. And I'm walking over to the house like, I'm here. And uh, my friend's mom... Um, was they had a front uh, a swing. She was swinging in her front porch, and she looks at me. And she says, "Matt, do you know that your pants are on backwards?" You know, and I'm a kid, thinking I dress myself. My mom didn't dress me, just so you know. Um, I I roll up, and of course I fib. I'm like, "Yeah, of course I know that. How I wear them." And uh, <laughs> she says, "Well, I mean." And how do you go to the bathroom? Right? And I'm thinking quick. I'm a kid. Like, well, that's true. How do I go? I'm like, well, I don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the excuse that I give. And, I mean, of course, I know now that it's absurd, but was I really thinking of a kid that she was going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. She's, he's probably just one of those people that never go to the bathroom. Just doesn't need to. Right? But that's got to be how our excuses sound to God sometimes right? He knows. He knows everything. He knows the future. So if God is calling you to something, you got to know that he's going to get you there, right? Even if we can't see it, God is big after all, and we can't see around him, right? Even if we can't see it, we got to know that he knows us perfectly. He knows the future. If he's calling us there, we're going to get there, Right, So if we make all of these excuses, it's pretty much the same thing. It's like, well, I don't go to the bathroom, God, so... Right? It's absurd. It's lame. There are lame excuses. 
God knows us perfectly. Run out of time, but if, if there are things that we need to take away, I mean, we know that God just knows everything infinitely. He's an, in, an incredible, incredible God. But if we don't scale it back and look at how he speaks to us plainly so that we can understand, we know that God is speaking into our lives, and sometimes we miss it because it's simple. And we think, well, God, God's big. I mean, he's not in the simple things, but he's speaking to us, and we're sort of simple to him, right? When you think about God and all his complexity. And the reason that God is speaking to us this way is because he knows us. He knows how to communicate to us. He knows us personally because he loves us. He's seen us in the womb. He knit us together. He is invested in our lives. And that's because God has our best interests in mind. He's patient with us. God loves us so much that he died for us. He has our best interests in mind. So if you feel like God is sort of heavy on your heart, calling you to something, prodding you in a certain direction, even if it's hard to see, even if the first steps in that direction are hard and they hurt, you've got to know that sometimes being refined hurts, but you'll come out better. You'll come out better on the other end. We, we have to know that God loves us and will see us through to the end and trust that even though he's so big and we can't see around him, that on the other side, Pray with me. God, we just love you so much, and it's incredible that you know things before I even say them, that you had a purpose for me. Even before I was born, God, that you know us through and through, and you see us for what we are, God, and still you affirm what we could be, God, like Zacchaeus. You call us by name. And I pray that we would learn to trust your calling on our lives, God, that we wouldn't ask to try to see around you on the other side, but we would just trust that you are taking us somewhere fantastic. And God, we just pray that we would trust you always. And we love you so much. In your perfect name.